congregation. I hope everyone is doing well this morning. Yes, I'm sorry, thank you. We do this pass-off every Sunday with this little clicker, and half the time I forget it. He always remembers. Well, good morning, church. Hope you're doing well. I want to uh, welcome you all to our worship this morning. And for those who uh, may be visiting, I don't think I see a visitor this morning. But if I missed you, I hope that uh, you enjoy your time here as we worship the Lord together. Um, James, I love that song. Where did you go? The Ancient Words. And that's what we're going to be doing this morning. I'm going to ask if you would to take your Bibles. I want you to turn over to the Gospel of John. The Gospel of John, chapter 14. We're going to be uh, looking at a couple of verses this morning. Um, a few moments ago, you and I celebrated the Lord's Supper. And this is something that we do every single Lord's Day. We take the Lord's Supper together. And as you all know, when we take the Lord's Supper together, it is to be a reenactment of the last meal that Jesus ate with his disciples. And if you remember the story, it takes place at the end of the Gospels. Jesus is sitting with his uh, apostles, and they're eating the Passover meal together. And for those of you who may not have been in the Old Testament for a, quite a while or for a little while, you may not remember what all the Passover is about. But what is the Passover meal? The Passover is a celebration that was instituted by God and given to the Jews to commemorate the time when God delivered them out of Egyptian bondage. And so as they're eating the Passover meal, they are discussing and talking about the ancient scriptures that give us life. They, they talked about the, the Passover lamb that was slain and the blood of the sacrifice that would have been placed upon the doorpost. And then, of course, the ten plagues. And all of us remember what happens on the night of the tenth plague when the death angel comes through the land and takes the firstborn of everyone who does not have the blood that was put upon the doorpost. And, of course, you and I know now, looking back with 2020 vision, that that image, that idea, is a picture of the blood of Jesus Christ that we put upon our hearts that allows us to um, not only have access to God's, uh, God's life, but also keeps us from His wrath, keeps us from judgment as well. So Jesus, as He is sitting here, as He's having this... Uh, let's see if I can get this on here. There we go. So Jesus, as He is having this Passover meal with His disciples, I want you to think about all that imagery, all that imagery that comes along with the Passover, the sacrifice of the lamb being poured out, how that was a picture of this new covenant relationship that God is having with his people, how that they're no longer going to be slaves anymore, that God is going to, like Luke said this morning, give them a new identity. They're not slaves anymore. They're going to be children of God. And then he gets to the very end of this meal. And then Jesus says these words, and, and perhaps maybe we've read over them a, a real quickly in the past, but I want to just focus in on that last verse up here. Read it with me if you would. When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles were reclining at the table. And he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat the Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds its fulfillment in the kingdom of God. That's the final fulfillment of the kingdom of God when Christ returns, right? He says, I won't do it again until I come back. And then he says, verse 17, after taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among you, for I tell you that I will not drink it again, drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And then he took the bread, he gave thanks, and he broke it, and he gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Now listen to verse 20. This is so important, church, 
Because what you and I just got through doing when we took that little cup is we were proclaiming that the new covenant is in force, that you and I are a part of that new covenant. Are you with me? Listen to what Jesus says. Verse 20. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Now, because of the things that you and I have talked about over the last couple of months now, as we've been looking at um, the Holy Spirit in the scriptures, you now know what that means when Jesus says, this is the new covenant. You now know how significant it is when Jesus says, guess what? The new covenant that was prophesied about by Ezekiel, that new covenant that was prophesied about in Jeremiah chapter 31, Jesus is saying that I am about to pour out my blood, just like that Passover a long time ago, I'm going to pour out my blood, and that's going to be the beginning of the new covenant covenant well guess what remember what we said about the new covenant in the old testament i'm not going to take the time to go back and, and rehash all of that but it's jeremiah 31 verses 31 through 34 and ezekiel 36 26 through 27 let me give it to you in short god promises the old testament israelites and he says listen i've got a day coming that's going to be better than anything you've ever seen before. You thought the, the giving of the law of Moses on Mount Sinai was good. Well, listen, that, my covenant's been broken all along for the last how many thousands of years. He says, but there's a new day coming when I'm going to make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. It's not going to be like the covenant that I made before. In other words, it's not going to be a covenant that gets broken all the time because there's going to be some new things that are going to happen with this new covenant. And what are they? God says, I'm going to remove their heart of stone. And I'm going to give them a new heart that beats for me. I'm going to take away that dead spirit that they had because of their, their allegiance to sin. And I'm going to give them a brand new spirit. And not only am I going to give them a brand new spirit, but I myself am going to send my spirit, my Shekinah glory into them as well. And I will move them, cause them to want to obey my ways. Man, that's incredible, isn't it? And Jesus says, that's the new covenant that I am about to start with you when I sacrifice myself. In other words, he becomes the new Passover. Now, Matthew, Mark, and Luke all record the story of Jesus' last supper. But if you notice, John is different. John does not include that same story. Now, I'm conjecturing why, and I'll tell you what I think. I think it's because, remember what we said several weeks ago, we said that the Old Testament, by the time you get to the book of Malachi, it sets up two things, two big hopes. One, that the anointed one, the Messiah, is coming. And two, when he comes, the anointed one is going to pour out what? The anointing, right? Well, guess what? Matthew, Mark, and Luke all try to tell you one thing. Jesus is the anointed one. He's the Messiah. He's the one that was prophesied about to come. But John comes along a little bit later. John's had the benefit of reading all these other gospel accounts that his, his friends and his, uh, you know, his uh, fellow apostles have written. He's lived long enough to see the book of Acts play out. He lives all the way to the very end of the first century. And John comes along and he says, you know what, I'm going to record something different. I'm going to record not so much to show that Jesus is the one who is the anointed one, although he does do that. But John focuses on the second promise. John wants to show us that in this new covenant, Jesus is also the one who has promised to bring the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. So that leads us then back to where we started last Sunday 
which is John chapters 14 through 17, which, again, that section of Scripture, John 14 through 17, is the one place, the only place in Scripture where Jesus himself goes into great detail and talks about that second promise that talks about the pouring out of the Holy Spirit. And if you remember, we said that John chapters 13 through 17, John records what? Five new things. In other words, because of this anointing, because of this pouring out of God's gift, you, as his disciples, can expect five new things or five new realities as a result of having the indwelling Holy Spirit. The first one we talked about last Sunday, we said that, uh, and this is as far as we've got, uh, but we said that he also, he gave us a new commandment. Remember what Jesus said the new commandment was? John 13, 34, love one another as you say it. I have loved you. So what does that mean? Jesus gives you the model for this love. It's not that we haven't known that we should love each other. It's just that we didn't really know how it was supposed to look until Jesus came and modeled it out for us, right? So the new commandment is that we are to love one another the same way that Jesus loves each other. Now, that's as far as we got last Sunday. This morning, I want us to keep reading through this section of Scripture, and I want us to look at a couple more of these new things. Here's the second one we're going to talk about this morning. The second new thing that we can expect... As a, relate, as a result of having the Holy Spirit in us, is that we can expect an entirely new and different kind of relationship with the Father. I'm so excited about this one. Uh, let's just jump right into it. I want you to read with me John 13, 33. This is where we left off last week. He says, my children, I'm going to be with you only a little bit longer. You will look for me, but just as I told the Jews, and so I will tell you now where I'm going you can't come. And what's he talking about there? He's talking about his death, right? Where I'm going, you can't come. You can't come yet, right? You can't come yet. Now listen to Peter. Peter hears this word, these words of Jesus. And Peter, you know, people call him foot and mouth Peter, right? He's the one that kind of jumps, you know, before he thinks a little bit. And, and so Peter hears Jesus talking about this. And, and so he says these words in, in, in 36 through 38. It says, Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus replied, where I am going, you can't follow now, but you will follow later. And so Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. And Jesus answered, and, and I always wondered how he looked, right? Because Jesus knows Peter's got a good heart. But he knows what Peter's going to do. And so I sometimes just wonder, this is just, this is just Tim Brown, did he have like a wry half smile on his face? And, and so Jesus says, will you really lay down your life for me, Peter? He says, very truly I tell you, before the rooster crows in the morning, you will disown me three times. And of course we know what happens, right? He's beaten and flogged and, and, and the people in the crowd says, aren't you the one that was with him? And Three times, just like Jesus prophesied, he denied him, just as he said. Now listen to what Jesus says next. Now this is important. This, this passage, I tell you as a minister, I can't tell you how many times I've preached these next words. Pretty much every single funeral that I've ever done, every single funeral I've ever been to quotes these next words. We all know them so well. Listen to this. He says, don't let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. Now my father's house has many rooms. The old translations, King James says many mansions, right? Uh, 
almost like you have all these different mansions. The idea is actually rooms. It's one big house, and we all live there, okay? It's a big old house, amen? (laughs) Okay, so it has many rooms. And if that were not so, I would have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back. That's another promise that I didn't even put up on the board. What's another new thing that he gives us? A promise to return for us, okay? You can make that 2B if you want to, or 2A, (laughs) all right, because I just thought of that one. But if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me so that you may be where I am. Now, we've all heard that passage many, many times. So what's he saying? One thing that's changed in our relationship with God is that because we've been forgiven of all of our sins, Because God has placed His Spirit on the inside of us, Jesus now promised us that He's leaving, but He's not leaving and never coming back. He's going somewhere to prepare a place for you. So so at the very least, one of the first things that we can say that something brand new that comes out of this relationship that we have with God is that right now you have the assurance that Jesus has prepared a place for you when you die. Amen? Now that right there, we can stop right there and be just content knowing that truth. But how many of you know that that's not the full extent of what has changed in our relationship with God. We're not done here. We're going to keep going because I'm going to show you something in a moment that it took me many years to see it. I didn't see it until I was much older after I became a Christian. And a lot of people, when I talk to them, they don't see this either. But I'm going to show you something that's incredible. Watch this. Now, after Jesus says these words, John, uh, look at John 14, verse 4. If I have it here. He says, you know the way to the place where I'm going. Now, this is one of those times where Jesus makes a cryptic statement and all the disciples are like, what what are you talking about? Now, Philip pipes up at this point. Philip's there and he hears Jesus says this and he's kind of confused. He says, okay, uh, what do you mean? What do you mean? uh, We don't know where you're going. And so listen to how Jesus continues. He says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really knew me, now watch this carefully. If you really knew me, you will know that my you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and you have seen him. Now, it's really, really important that you listen to what Jesus says next. Because what he's gonna do is is what Jesus is about to say here is he's going to illustrate for you at the very end of this chapter the full picture of what has happened in this new relationship that we have with God. Now, you and I all believe that we have the hope of heaven, amen? Every one of us has that hope, but it's a half hope. In other words, in most of our pulpits over the last I don't know how many years, we've only preached half the truth of this new relationship that we have. And unfortunately, I think that that has left a lot of us with a wrong sense of hope. I can't tell you how many times over the years I've heard people say, I asked them, do you know that you're going to go to heaven? Do you absolutely know that you're going to go to heaven? The best answer that I can get from our fellowship is, I hope so. Listen, Jesus did not die and shed his blood on that cross so that you might have a little bit of a hope, maybe, maybe not, that you get to go to heaven. He died for you so that you could have full assurance But unfortunately, what we've done is that we've only preached half the truth. And the reason why you and I don't have the assurance that we need to have to be able to walk confidently in our hope of heaven is because we've missed the second half of what's changed in the relationship. So you say, Tim, well, what's the second half? I'm glad you asked. Let's get into it. 
verses 6 and 7. Okay, look at John 14. Let's go to verse 8, the very next verse. Oh, I'm sorry, we're not going to go to there. We're going to skip that for a moment. <laughs> I'm going to come back to that for just a moment. Now, um, let's see, what, I missed my place here. Okay, let me just do it from memory because I, I can't I remember how I got the slides. He says, you know the place where I'm going, right? And, and he says, you've seen the Father. And, and Philip starts thinking about this, and he says, well, you know what? Just show, show us God, and that'll be enough for us. Just show us God. We want to see God. And I love Philip's heart here because don't you want to see God too? Man, wouldn't that be amazing to be able to see God? But see, the problem that Philip had is that Philip didn't understand what John wrote in John 1.18 when he said that nobody's ever seen God. Nobody's ever seen God. Uh, but the one and only Son, who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. So Jesus has seen God, but nobody else has seen God. You think about Moses in the Old Testament. Remember Moses after he was up on the top of the mountain and he's having that alone time with God and he says, I, can I, you know what, can I, I have a question. Can I just, can I see you? <laughs> can I see you? And what did God say to Moses? You can't. If I show you my face, you will die. Even with the protective covering that God had given Moses, you would die. And so he puts him into a cleft of a rock and he allows him to see his backside as he passes through. And that right there is so glorious and so incredible and so amazing. Just seeing the backside of the Father that when he comes down from the mountain, he's literally glowing. So sorry, Philip, you can't see God. But he doesn't not answer Philip's question. Keep reading with me. Look at verses 8 through 11. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father and that will be enough for us. Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip? Even after I have been among you such a long time, anybody who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I don't speak of my own authority. Rather, it's the Father living in me who is doing His work. So believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. So Jesus looks at Philip and He says, Philip, you've already seen God. He's You've already seen God. Anytime that you look at me, in other words, because Jesus was so filled fully with the Holy Spirit, since he was so filled fully by the presence of the Father, to look at Jesus is to look at God. Jesus has already told us in the same verse that he didn't do anything of his own. It didn't come from him. It all came from God. Everything he did came from the Father. Everything he said came from the Father. Everything he did in ministry came from the Father. And so Philip had seen God. He just didn't realize it. Now, I want you to keep that thought in your mind with a finger on it as we continue and skip over to verse 15. Jesus said, if you love me, Keep my commands and I will ask the father and he will give you another advocate to help you and to be with you forever. The spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it doesn't see him or know him. How many people reject the Holy Spirit because they don't see him and they don't know him? 
Okay? He says, the spirit of truth, the world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Meaning what? I will come to you through the presence of the Holy Spirit. Now remember, that goes for all of us. We already talked about that last Sunday, right? We showed that. We proved that. That this is not just referring to the twelve. This is referring to the twelve and everybody who comes to faith through their word. Now, keep reading with me. Verse 19. I did that thing again. That's weird. Okay. Let me go back. Right there. Verse 19. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me because I live. You hear that? You will see me because I live, and you also will live. And on that day, now we're going to come back to that day in just a moment. That's going to be the third new thing. We'll address that in just a moment. We'll come back. But on that day, you will realize that I am in the Father, and that you are in me, and that I am in you. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. Now, Jesus reiterates this one more time, just one verse later. Don't do that. Go back. In verse 23, Jesus says, Anybody who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them. And watch this. Oh, my goodness. Are you you ready? Here it is. Look at what he says. Anybody who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will come to them, and we will make our home in them. Do you see how we've missed half the message? We preach all the time that Jesus died for you on the cross, that he's gone into heaven, he's gone to make a home for you, and we live our lives that I hope I make it, I hope I make it, I hope I have a home in heaven. But the truth is, is that if that has happened in your life and Jesus has gone to make a home for you in heaven, the other side of that picture is that they have also made a home inside of you. So you don't have to worry about the abode in heaven one day because the abode has already started right now inside of you. And not only has the Holy Spirit come inside of you, Jesus says through the Spirit, I will come inside of you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will not leave you alone. And I can't even have words to describe this one. The Father is going to come and live inside of you. I will never forget the day when I finally realized the full context of chapter 14. I can't tell you how many times I'd preached a funeral and used John 14, 1 through 3, and I just focused on that one hope that Jesus had gone to prepare a place for us and how wonderful that hope is, that when we die, we get to go to that place, we get to go to heaven. But look at what Jesus is really teaching us in John 14. He's teaching us that, that one of the most incredible features of this new covenant that you and I get to participate in That because of his death, because of his forgiveness of sins, because of us making us white as snow, we get to have an entirely new kind of relationship with God. Because not only does Jesus go and prepare a place for you there, he also comes and prepares a place for you in here. Or a place for himself in here. So, let's define it. That's the second new thing that Jesus talks about in this section. He promises that the, the promise comes as a result of the arrival of the indwelling Holy Spirit. Entirely new kind of relationship watch this one where we mutually indwell one another we are in him and he is in us now church i was talking to my wife about this and and uh you know one of the things that we were talking about is well maybe i'm being too repetitive in the in the pulpit you know 
Maybe I'm saying some of the same things too many times. And, and uh, Do we understand the weight of what this is saying? I mean, do we really, do we really get this? Because I can't tell you how many times I talk about the Holy Spirit and, and, and people almost take it lackadaically, like, oh, yeah, yeah, I know the Holy Spirit. I've got the Holy Spirit in me, and that's fine. And just like, almost like they flippantly say that and move on. And I'm just sitting here going, oh, my gosh, do we really understand what he's saying? That the Father is going to come and, and live inside of me. Let me tell you something, church. The real presence of God is both incredible and it's terrifying. You think about what happened on Mount Sinai. When the presence of God came down on Mount Sinai. You look at that story and it says in Exodus 19 that this entire mountain shook with an earthquake. The mountain was wrapped in fire and smoke. And it says that there was thunder and lightning everywhere. And that whenever God spoke it, it sounded like a loud trumpet blasting. And how do you think the people felt about it? They were supposed to come all the way up to the mountain but not touch it. If they touched it, they would die. But the people were way back over here. They didn't want to come close. And God was trying to speak to his people. And you know what they said? Don't let him talk to us. Don't let him talk to us. I'm terrified. I'm terrified. And they go to Moses and they say, you talk to us instead. And guess what? The church has been doing that ever since. They want the preacher to hear God. They want the preacher to tell them what, what God is saying. Let me tell you something. That does not, it's not what God wants. God wants to speak to every one of us. All of us are at the foot of that mountain right now. And here's the amazing thing. That power, that glory, that fire, that trembling is now inside of you. That changes everything. I think about what Isaiah saw over in Isaiah chapter 6. He comes into the presence of God. He sees God in his throne, high and lifted up. It says the train of his robe filled the temple. Six-winged cherubim, terrifying creatures, flew and they sang. And they sang in the temple. And it says when they sang, the whole temple, it even says the foundations of the heavenly temple began to shake. And they sang, holy, holy, holy. Holy is the Lord God Almighty. You know why they say it three times? One for the Father, one for the Son, and one for the Spirit. I think about the temple. First in the tabernacle and then later on in the temple of Solomon. After Solomon finished it, he prayed. And it says in 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 1, that fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices and the glory of the Lord filled the house. And you think about that presence. That glory. So much so that I remember when Uzzah one time was trying to reach out his hand to, 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 to the ark was falling off this cart and, and he had a good heart. He wanted to save it. But what did God say? You cannot touch it. Why? Because that represents the glory of God. And as soon as Uzzah touched it, he fell dead. The whole high priest could only go in there. One guy, one time a year, could only go in there after so much ceremony for the forgiveness of his own sins. And he didn't even have the assurance, assurance that he would make it back out. That glory is now in you and me. The Spirit is holy. It's called the Holy Spirit. He's the Spirit of holiness. And when you have holiness come live inside of you, that demands a holy response from us. That's why, for example, Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 17 through 20, when he was talking about the Corinthian church, man, they were experiencing gifts of the Holy Spirit. 
They were having dreams and visions and speaking in tongues, and they thought that that was, that was, that was cat's meow right there. That's what makes you spiritual. And Paul says, man, you've missed it by a mile. Here's what he says right here. Oh, actually, let me, let me go back. Uh, Psalm 114, verse 7. I, thought, I forgot I put these in there. Tremble, O earth, at the presence of the Lord, at the presence of the God of Jacob. Psalm 119, verse 20. My flesh trembles for fear of you, for I am afraid of your judgments. Isaiah 66, verse 2. This is the one to whom I will look, he who is humble and contrite in spirit and who trembles at my word. And then in the New Testament, we've read this before, but I want to read it again because it fits here so perfectly. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with what? Fear and trembling. Why? Because God is at work in you to will and to act according to to, to fulfill his good purpose. That's the new covenant, isn't it? That's exactly what he promised to do on the inside of us. Now, if you know God, if you really know God, for in the greatness of his holiness, in his justice, in his wrath, in his grace, you will tremble at his presence because you will come to the realization that God is real and that God, even though he loves you, he is not one to be trifled with. He takes his holiness very seriously. That's why in the book of Acts, you have the story of uh, Ananias and Sapphira dropping dead before the Lord. Why? Because they lied to the Holy Spirit. Listen, again, it's wonderful, but it's terrifying. And when you have the presence of God in you, it demands a response. And that's why in 1 Corinthians, and this is where I was going to go a moment ago, Paul is speaking to the Corinthians, and listen to what he says. He's talking about people who are engaging in sexual immorality. One of the biggest problems we have in the church today in America. Look at what he says. Whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins that a person commits are outside the body. But whoever sins sexually, sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own anymore. You were bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. You know, one of the very first things that should happen when you become aware of God's presence inside of your life is that you need to have an intense desire to want to get rid of sin in your life. Because when you have the Shekinah glory living in you, him and sin do not mix well. Okay? Now go back with me for just a moment, back to verse 16. We're going to wrap up right here. He says in verse 16, I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and to be with you forever the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. The question is when? When is this going to happen? And so Jesus tells us in verse 18 through 20, one more time, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you before long. The world will not see me anymore, but you will see me because I live. You will also live on that day, there it is, you will realize that I am in the Father and you are in me and I am in you. So that's the third new thing that we're going to end with this morning and that is this, a new day. Jesus reveals that all of these things are going to happen on a new day. What was the new day? It was the day of Pentecost. Jesus fulfilled the Passover as the Passover lamb and 50 days from this conversation that he's having with his disciples, he is going to fulfill the second part of that great hope with the pouring out of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. Now, 
Watch this. From that day forward, from the day of Pentecost forward, God's plan is to fill His people with the Holy Spirit and to fill groups of people as the church with the Holy Spirit so that we can collectively, as God's churches, be active places of God's manifest presence in the world. That's why He calls you the light of the earth. And now you understand why Jesus responded to Philip in the way that He did. When Philip wanted to see God, Jesus was so full of the Father that when people looked at Him, they saw God. And Jesus looks at Philip and He says, that's the way. That's the way. That's the way people are going to see God. They're going to see God. When the Spirit comes on that day, on the day of Pentecost, when I pour Him out inside of you, I and the Father are going to come and live inside of you, and we are going to transform you from the inside out. And soon, because of my dwelling, because of my presence, because you're going to become just like Jesus in the way that you live, when people look at you, they're going to see me. Isn't that what you and I want? And I, I really want people to see Jesus. What do you see, Tim Brown? Mm. And the promise that he gives us is that as we live this life, showing and manifesting the presence of God within us, one day too, when we pass from this life to the next, we will be ushered into that abode that Jesus has been working on for you. And you know what's going to be amazing about that now that you have the full picture of this change that has happened in this relationship? When you go to heaven, you come into the presence of the Father, it's not going to be that strange to you because you've already lived in the presence of the Father for your whole life. Charles Spurgeon, the old famed preacher, once said this. He said, without the Spirit of God, we can do nothing. We are as ships without the wind, branches without sap, and like coals without fire, we are useless. Last Sunday, I gave a different kind of invitation. Oh, preachers up here, you know, we give an invitation every Sunday. Why? Because the waters are ready. And the waters are ready. But I also gave a second invitation. Do you want more of the Holy Spirit? Now, I can't do that. I can lay hands on you. I can pray for you. But that's not who we're asking here. Who we're asking here is the Father. So I'm going to offer this invitation. Nobody came last Sunday, and that's okay. My feelings aren't hurt. But if you want more of the Holy Spirit in your life so that you can finally let go of the sins that have kept you tangled up for so long, so that you can finally fix the marriage issues that have been going on for too long, so that you can finally have an influence on your children, so that you can have an impact on your kids, so you can have an impact on your community, then come forward right now as we stand and sing.